Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, NBC's coverage of Liverpool winning the Premier League title, price increases for YouTube TV, Fubo TV and ESPN+. We debate whether cable or streaming is the best option now. Our thoughts about CBS's first weekend of soccer TV coverage. We got the news about Mexico's new cup competition that starts this weekend. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. Now, Kartik, uh, from this past week, there's been a lot of um, soccer watching, at least in, in my household. Uh, I mean, when you have, what, you have probably six or seven games at least uh, to choose from throughout the day, probably actually even more if you include everything. Um, I'm watching, on average, probably three or four games, well, probably close to the three games. And... Um, for me personally, what I'm focusing on is just focusing on the meaningful games uh, for the most part. So I'm watching a lot of La Liga. I'm watching a lot of the Championship. Uh, I'm watching a lot of uh, Premier League games that uh, focus on the relegation battle, like teams trying to avoid um, getting relegated. And um, that's what I've been focusing on. So some of those games have not been the most exciting games, just because, you mean, sometimes if it's a relegation battle or it's a, it's a championship game trying to make it into the playoffs and you've got two teams that cancel each other out. Uh, for the most part, La Liga has been really the highlight of the last few weeks for me. But what about you? Have, have your viewing habits changed at all, Kartik? Yeah, I suppose I'm watching more Serie A and uh, more championship. Although, you know, I say I'm watching more championship. I'm not sure I'm watching more of the championship uh, because I've always watched the championship. It's just been intertwined with the Bundesliga and the Premier League. And the Bundesliga, I've uh, essentially forgotten about. Although I will watch the German Cup final this weekend. Uh, And the relegation playoffs, excitingly enough, uh, well, not excitingly enough because Fox has shown them before, but I thought Fox uh, had mailed it in. They are showing uh, those two legs, so that should be uh, uh, exciting as well. But, um, yeah, I I think it's been more Serie A and more focus on the championship. Maybe not necessarily more championship viewing, but more um, 
more emphasis on even in my non-viewing soccer um, reading and uh, and watching uh, uh, in terms of thinking about it outside of watching matches has been more related to the championship than, than other leagues. So what about um, your favorite game from this past week? Was there one that stood out? Yeah, Susuolo and uh, Hellas Verona, Verona on, it was on ESPN on Sunday afternoon uh, in a pretty good time slot. And this was a match that got off to a sluggish start, was pretty physical and chippy for the first 20 or 30 minutes, and then it just opened up and ended up being a 3-3 uh, match. Now, what was interesting was that this was a match where potentially um, Verona wins. They get a, a, into a European spot. Um, if uh, Sussuolo is probably safe, but uh, not mathematically safe and splitting the points, I don't know helped that it helped either team. Right? right. But it was one of those back and forth um, throw caution to the win matches that, um, that we like to see in football. And, and, and um, I think there are going to be more of those in these next, in these last few weeks as, uh, as clubs get desperate, uh, as teams push uh, to, to, to get promoted or to get into, into European spots uh, as, uh, as the league races tend to open up. I mean, there's a lot of competition for European spots in Spain, in Italy uh, and uh, England to, to, to a certain extent, um, obviously England champions league spots are up, but I think we, basically know who the top six or seven will be it's just what order will they finish in uh but uh yeah i think i think um there's also um the aspect of players and teams getting their legs back and getting their getting back yeah. up to full fitness and and matches getting better i i uh have watched a lot of each league i would say la liga has been the best uh since the restart la liga's um and, I, and I'm actually going to side with you on this, Chris, now. I think La Liga's crowd noise option is probably the best, too. Um, I had said last week I thought the Bundesliga was better. But um, the Premier League has been a little better. I, I still think it's lagging behind the other leagues. But um, the football is getting better. Yeah, I think I think you could say that across uh, all the different leagues that are, being, that are being played right now is that the, the level of um, match sharpness has, has improved. Um, and and with the Premier League too, it's it's improved uh, considerably. Uh, championship too. You I mean I, I think players? I mean having not played ninety minutes uh, for what three months, close to four months. I mean it, it was going to be a bit of a, a change for a lot of these players. Um, we saw the. I mean for me the the, the standout m- match um, from this past week is it's tough to say because the West Ham United against Chelsea match on Wednesday was really really entertaining. Again, kind of a back and forth, kind of a real kind of ding dong match, back and forth. Uh, a lot of controversial uh, incidents in that match, but but for me, it's it's the the Barcelona uh, Atletico Madrid two two tie, and for Barcelona right now, it's it's like watching a soap opera uh, on the pitch because <laughs> I mean from from the game, the, the Celta game against Barcelona from last week with a. A, a late uh, uh, free kick for uh, was it uh, uh, Aspas Diego Aspas scoring for uh, Celta to tie that game and really kind of dent Barcelona's uh, title hopes. They still have a chance, and then Barcelona going against uh, Atleti in in a really great match. And this was the second game in a row where um, Ricky uh, Puic, uh, this this uh, young twenty year old player for Barcelona out of their academy, just such a promising attacking midfielder to watch. Uh, really exciting, opening up, uh, kind of carving open defenses, and always 
moving into open spaces, always wanting to receive the ball. And here you have a player, I mean, that's really, I mean, Griezmann can hardly get uh, an appearance in. This 20-year-old is just doing fa- fantastic work. And I, I, that's really intriguing to me. It's just the, I mean, of course, Real Madrid uh, playing on Thursday when we're recording this podcast uh, will we'll probably uh, extend the lead at the top of the table. But they're within reach of Barcelona. Barcelona's in reach of them. And I think that's really exciting. And also kind of just the uh, seeing Messi, I mean, at, 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 some, at his best, really, just trying to help this team along. Mathematically, they're within reach. But Barcelona, I think the thing that's been exposed in the last two weeks is what a poorly run club they've been. Yeah. In terms of their transfer strategy, in terms of how, uh, what's going on on the pitch, maybe uh, you know backroom uh, uh, problems, uh, Messi is having to do to Bar- for Barcelona now. This is the irony: what Cristiano Ronaldo so often had to do for Real Madrid, which was uh, take these uh, the, 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 this team of overpriced stars with little tactical direction uh, on his back and, and will them to trophies, which is what happened in, in Champions League after Champions League uh, when uh, Real Madrid's other star players, highly paid players, broke down. Uh, in the case of Griezmann, it's uh, it's embarrassing. I'm going to say this: how after the drama and all of the the, the, the theatrics around his move from Atleti to uh, to Barcelona, how poorly he's performed uh, over the course not just these last since the restart, but over the course of the season. And I think Barcelona, and this has been a big topic of discussion in, uh, on television in, in in the analysis. I mean, uh, you know, this is the they 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 they, they buy guys. Um, they they've now become like Real Madrid, buying a lot of vanity guys. And maybe it started when they bought Turan from uh, from Atleti after Atleti had gone to a, a Champions League final and had defeated, uh, had won the league. Uh, but they uh, they're now not buying logically like they used to. So um, yeah, I think uh, bad times at the new camp. To be honest with you, yeah, I I, I kind of like that though, Kartik, because it, it does show a, a human aspect to Barcelona. Is you mean we we often watch Barcelona games and it's. <clears throat> and it might be 2-2 with, I mean, let's say 10 or 15 minutes to go. And it's almost like you already know what the ending is going to be. It's, it's I mean, in the past, it would have been Barcelona five pulling two. off a... <laughs> right, 5-2. <five laughs> right, exactly. That you, that you, it's almost seemed inevitable that they would win. Um, but in these last two games, they, they seem very human. They seem that they're they're battling, I mean, the, not their own demons, but, but they, they have struggles... Um, a lot of defensive mistakes, a lot of kind of individual mistakes. In Barcelona's defense for a couple of years now has been not the strongest point by any means. Um, but I like that, though. I like that um, they have to really, really work at it uh, to try to get back to the levels that they were before and try to chase Real Madrid. Because at some point, Real Madrid is going to slip up, I would imagine. But um, that, that makes it more attractive to me, that title race where rather than the, uh, both teams just winning every single game and it's kind of a race to the finish to see exactly who who edges out the other one. But so for, for listeners who, who haven't had a chance, I mean, I, I would thoroughly recommend uh, the, the title race for La Liga. Uh, the championship, <clears throat> the championship playoff race, it's... Um, I would say it's 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 anticlimactic. I, I enjoy watching it. I mean, I, I've watched the Leeds Fulham game from last week, which is really good. Like last weekend, um, and it's exciting to see Leeds United uh, on the precipice of possibly being promoted. At the same time, West Brom slipping up and and uh, losing some matches, losing some points, and then Brentford. Uh, who seem to be kind of a dead certain for playoff place now look like they could actually get promoted. 
Yeah. Um, so, so in terms of the ramifications and, and each game having a big influence, a big impact on the promotion and title race in the championship, that's exciting. The, the level of football so far hasn't been ex- that exciting, but it's been a really, it's a tough league. It is very physical. It is very intense. And let me jump in on the Brentford point. I know this is this is a little bit off broadcast, but maybe still kind of relevant. Is that um, they're opening a new stadium next season? They're leaving Griffin Park, which has been their home forever. I mean, Griffin Park is the, one of the first things you see when you take off from Heathrow, if you take off in that direction, and last thing you see when you land, if you're coming from over the city. So, uh, sentimental place. Uh, they have done a better job, arguably, of scouting. Uh, than any club in the fo- in the entire uh, football structure in England, and um, I think the team gets broken up. Guys like Ollie Watkins get sold. Uh, they've already you know lost guys like Konsa and uh, and Neil Mape, who's playing quite well for Brighton uh, currently. Uh, they've already lost a number of the guys that they brought to England uh, uh, that they had scouted well in on the continent and brought uh, to to the to the uh, championship. So I think this is really critical. They go up this year um, and. They look like they have a shot to go up uh, automatically. Uh, they're they're within. Uh, obviously, their win out against West Brom on Friday was was pretty huge, but um, a lot to still play out. And then, obviously, for the championship uh, um, playoff spots, there's still the the intrigue of the uh, the the run that Darby has been on since. Uh, since Wayne Rooney came, although Darby going to the playoffs and losing in the playoffs is something that's been happening every season, right? So right. that's nothing new. But then your, your little Welsh intrigue uh, with, with uh, Cardiff and Swansea. Cardiff is in sixth now. Preston's fallen a little back. They Preston lost the other day. Uh, but um, you also have this uh, situation with, with Swansea closing and Swansea potentially grabbing sixth so, and taking it from Cardiff, which adds more spice to uh, to that rivalry, which I know uh, you think about every day, Chris. Yeah, plus plus you've got uh, on ESPN+. Plus. So, so for listeners, um, these championship games are on ESPN+. Plus, and at the same time, too, you've got the League One uh, playoff uh, semifinals, which are ca- happening, I think, on Thursday or Friday, as of recording this podcast, the, for the first leg, and you, you'll get the second leg uh, next week. So, so we're also moving closer and closer to a lot of these games. They're going to be played at Wembley, uh, in front of a, you mean, an empty stadium, uh, what ninety thousand empty seats, but again on ESPN Plus. So, Kartik, I'm going to ask you a question, and actually, I'm going to ask the listeners at the same time too. And I haven't uh, told you beforehand what this question is, and uh, so so it's completely out, out out of nowhere. But tell me, I mean, and you're somebody that has an encyclopedic memory of soccer. I mean, you've got a, definitely a, a fantastic memory of, of things that have happened uh, in the world of soccer from, I mean, well, I don't know, the 1800s until now. But tell me this: How many times has Arsenal won the Premier League? Three. How many times has Chelsea won the Premier League? Uh, five. How many times has Manchester City won it? Four. Man, you're good. (laughs) How many times has Blackburn won it? Once. Leicester City? Once. Manchester United? Thirteen. Wow, that is amazing that you got all those right. So, so I, I, the Chelsea one, I'm not sure about. It's four or five. It's five. It's five. You were right on all of those. So the reason I bring this up is. Honestly, in the seven years of watching the Premier League on NBC Sports, last week, honestly, this is an honest opinion, 
I felt for the first time in seven years that uh, they didn't understand something about English football. And and the reason I bring this up too is this goes back to the Manchester City against Chelsea game that was shown on what last Thursday had ramifications for Liverpool in terms of you know hoping that uh, Liverpool fans hoping that Man City would slip up and Chelsea would win the game. And with NBC Sports uh, before the game. Uh, at halftime, putting this graphic up on screen, which was a, a graphic that said Premier League champions, and it had had those those clubs that I just mentioned, and how many times they had won the Premier League. But to me, I got really pissed off about this. To to me, because it was yes, the Premier League is important, and yes, the the how many times Liverpool has won the Premier League was important, which up until that game was zero. Every, everybody knew that, and this is this is going to be the first time uh, that Liverpool had a chance to actually win it. But to me, I got pissed off because it took out the whole history of English yeah. football, football from the late 1800s up until what, the present day. Like, how many times has Aston Villa won you know, won the, the top flight title? And and the graphics they had on screen was they had a graphic that said Premier League champions, and they had those numbers there. And then I think at halftime, I think they they updated um, the the graphic. Uh, to include, and they actually segmented it. So they said number of times um, somebody a, a club has won the top flight title, number of times they had won the Premier League title, and they were separate. But to me, at the end of the day, that number should be combined into one. So, yeah. so we know that Manchester United has won the title what twenty times, right? Liverpool now after winning it uh, last week are now up to nineteen. And so on and so forth, and, and then you ha- you look at the other clubs too. Because if you combine it, you'll see that Chelsea is actually pretty low on that list. Man City is pretty low, and you've got clubs like what Huddersfield. Arsenal's won a couple of times. For Arsenal under Herbert Chapman won a number of times. Right, Aston Villa, you know, Preston. I mean, some some clubs that Preston, have been around. Blackpool's won. Right. Wolves. Uh, if you uh, obviously Wolves were great in the early fifties, right? They were the best English club at that point. If you look uh, historically, the one club that's been consistent throughout history is Arsenal, uh, or, or from their formation, or from the nineteen twenties on, I should say, uh, that has been consistently good and consistently competing for titles in, in every decade. Uh, Chris, this isn't anything new. I, you, I'm glad you noticed it now. I, I complained about this vociferously on Twitter a year ago that NBC was essentially fawning Premier League propaganda as a rights holder because Liverpool was chasing Manchester City for the title. And they put up a similar graphic. At that time, it would have been three for Manchester City, right? Um, and talked about Liverpool never winning the league. And, and it was it was absurd to me. Um, and the Premier League has tried in so many ways to be this kind of very kind of cleverly marketed breakaway product. And the one thing that's kept... I think it being different from the closed leagues in the United States and in, in American sports uh, is, uh, it, or I should say specifically different than the NFL and Major League Soccer is the history of its clubs. That's because I know people who are pro-rel advocates who look at nothing else say, oh, well, there's promotion and relegation in England, so it's an open league. Eh, it's, it's, it's not quite as open as uh, you'd like to think. And we, we had this discussion with John Nicholson, obviously, um, Christmas mm-hmm. time. So go back and listen to that podcast. This, to me, is one of the most sinister ways to market the league, is to essentially erase the history pre-1992. And maybe it makes the storyline better. It makes Liverpool look like plucky underdogs, but they're the club that's won the second most uh, titles in in English football history. 
And you add to that the number of trophies they've won even between 1990 and 2020 um, in various other competitions, including two European Cups. I mean, it's patently absurd, the whole thing. Um, And I think the other thing that that really tends to bother me about this is that there seems to be this sort of um, dumbing down of of that history so that it's consumed by by uh, global fans so global fans don't necessarily know the history of of arsenal prior to the formation of the premier league or the history of of uh, these other clubs that have been so successful through through the years yeah it's uh it bothered me because it it gave me the understanding that on this particular note and, and everything else that NBC Sports has done in the past I, I would give them high praise for but on this one it seems that uh, either it was intent it was intentional or they just didn't realize you I mean the the history i mean obviously i'm i'm sure they they know the history but but to me the way that they were framing it was okay anything from anything p- prior to 1992 is unimportant. The Premier League is it, and the Premier League is the focus, and here's the number of titles that uh, each of the the top clubs have won in the Premier League. Um, But to me, that's disrespectful, and to me, it shows a lack of understanding of of the history of uh, English football from, again, over over 100 years of... uh, At least that, over 120 to 30 years of of history. Um, It was was disappointing. Does, does mean Leeds is, are still the first division champions? Do they hold that title in perpetuity, right? I mean, because they were the last team to win uh, the the top flight when it wasn't the Premier League. Yeah, what I just said is illogical, right, Chris? Well, but based on that graphic, you might think that. Well the, well, the other thing is, is that how many times do you ever hear the Premier League uh, on NBC talking about just mentioning the words first division or mentioning the words division one? It, it almost never exists. And even during the programming, too, of this Chelsea-Man City game, um, I don't think they ever mentioned, uh, uttered those words once. There was another graphic that put, they put on screen, too, which was Liverpool major trophies. And they had the, the numbers of other trophies they'd won, Europa League, Champions League, FA Cup, League Cup. And then they had Premier League titles won, top flight titles 19. And my argument is is that top flight titles would would be... That would be nineteen, which which is the number that they gave. But why separate it and put Premier League titles? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, no one's going around. No one's going like, ah, we've won more Premier League titles than you. You know, what I mean that that's you know, ridiculous. In fact, in fact, Manchester United. So nineteen is obviously the significant number. That yeah. was the number when they passed Liverpool. Manchester United fans. There's a song nineteen about the Vietnam War by Paul Paul Hardcastle. They blasted that song for a week. Uh, in Manchester, when, what year would it have been? It would have been the eleven, uh, no, no, the eleven twelve season. City won the title. Ten eleven season when they when they got that nineteenth title, uh, because the number thirteen, or at the time it would have been twelve, right, was not significant. No one counts how many Premier League titles you have. It was the fact that they got their nineteenth title and passed Liverpool uh, a, 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 into first place all time. Um, and Chris, as you met, we have this conversation. The, you you meant you asked me that question at the, at the at the top that rapid fire question. Yep. The reason I might know all those numbers is because of NBC. Come to think of it, they've run that they were running that graphic last year. Uh, they so, brainwashed you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I mean, the, the Man City number I would know. The Arsenal number I know because I know those seasons. But the Chelsea number, truthfully, I probably 
you know, that probably has a lot to do with with, with this. And then the Man United number, because I, I think of 19 and then 20 for Manchester United. I don't think of 13. But the fact that I know 13, I think, is also because in the subsequent years since Ferguson left, we have heard NBC constantly talk about Manchester United having won 13 Premier League titles. Uh, they've won 20 top flight titles. That's what matters, right? Um, exactly. So that, 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 that's just bizarre. It's, it's, I think the vast majority of people agree with us on this. I hope so. I hope so. Cause, and again, too, I'm not a Liverpool supporter, and I'm just looking at it from the entire history of the top division in English football, whether that's been the Premier League or the first division or sometimes known as Division One, and then combining those numbers for historic, um, you mean for history, for, for to say, hey, this is how many titles that, that team has won. One more thing, Kartik, about, about the Chelsea-Man City game, which was actually a really good game. Uh, the second half in, uh, was even better. Um, but this one, um, post-match, NBC did, did a great job. They, for about, they had about two hours of post-game coverage, uh, a lot of it was simulcast from Sky Sports News, so they were able to go ahead and uh, show Sky, uh, Jamie Carragher interviewing Jordan Henderson and Jurgen Klopp, um, showing footage from outside uh, Anfield with the fans celebrating. Um, but but overall, it was um, it's still a little bit anticlimactic because you, I mean you're not going to see the uh, the victory parades uh, anytime soon. But uh, but still, I mean, in terms of them being able to utilize Sky Sports News, um, that's that's a huge plus for for you, viewers in the U.S. Yeah. So on this, you know, for me, I'm still a fan at heart. So um, full time, I shut the television off. I shut the computer down. Was down the rest of the day. Um, I uh, I don't know. I didn't think it would be so painful. Uh, this whole season, it's been inevitable that that city would hand the trophy off. But um, I guess the fashion it happened in, uh, because there was uh, you know the stupid giveaway to uh, to Pulisic by uh, by Benjamin Mendy, who's by least you know, I think is one of the worst transfers City has made in the last uh, last decade. Uh, certainly since uh, Soriano and Bergeristown Ber- took over, uh, Sterling hitting the post. You know, I felt like. Uh, uh, it just felt it, there, there, it's also bad to lose it at Stamford Bridge. So I was uh, I was in a very foul mood and did not take in any of the coverage and wasn't sure I was going to watch football again the rest of the week. But then the next day was this Brentford West Brom game and that got me uh, got me going again. But I, I, I actually took this much harder than. Um, the previous year, City has handed off the trophy. We handed it off to Manchester United in in twelve thirteen, and that was you know I was okay with that. Um, and then we handed it off to Chelsea and Mourinho um, in 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 fourteen fifteen, and that 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 hurt a bit, but not quite like this. And and I think. Um, and I and I took to Twitter on Saturday and just basically said, "Hey, I, I've full full credit to Liverpool, and I love Klopp, and I, and I love what they've done at that club. I'm just still very angry about the treatment of of Sterling, and I blame Liverpool fans for that. And I guess me personally have, have not gotten over that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, and strangely enough, when I tweeted that, there were a bunch of Liverpool fans who came to me and said, "Yeah, you know, you're right." Um, but uh, that's one element of our fan base. Don't 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 judge us all by that. And and I agree with that. Well, we've got a lot of uh, listener mailbag this week uh, with a lot of varied uh, comments and questions too. So we're going to uh, fast forward a little bit to the TV streaming news segment, Kartik, and uh, some big news. 
Yeah, so uh, the news broke this week that ESPN Plus, Fubo TV, and YouTube TV are all raising their their uh, rates. YouTube TV is updating the subscription price from fifty dollars a month to sixty four ninety nine a month, uh, and this was met with some horrible reaction online. I must say, uh, this new price will be effective immediately for new subscribers, uh, while existing members uh, won't see the price hike till next month, till uh, August first. Or sorry, July 30th. The price increase was a result of YouTube TV adding several Viacom CBS channels such as MTV, VH1, Comedy Central, and Nickelodeon. Uh, meanwhile, ESPN Plus will be raising their fee from $4.99 to $5.99 in August, making it the same price as Hulu. Uh, last but not least, the price of Fubo's family bundle is now $65 a month, up from $60 a month. Uh, additionally, all basic bundle subscribers have been moved to the family bundle, a $10 increase. Um, and there's some uh, lineup changes on uh, Fubo, so uh, um, so uh, uh, listen to me here uh, carefully. ESPN, ESPN Plus, ABC, and uh, the Disney Channel will be joining Fubo. We reported that last week. Uh, however, well, well, e- uh, ESPN two, not ESPN Plus. Oh, sorry, ESPN two, right? Yeah. Uh, ESPN, ESPN two, ABC, and the Disney Channel uh, will be uh, will be joining Fubo, while the Turner channels, the AT and T channels, TNT, TBS, CNN, HLN, uh, etc., uh, uh, True TV, etc., are being removed. So you're essentially trading the the Disney channels for the AT and T channels, and there's a slight increase in uh, in uh, uh, fees. The carriage rates, uh, uh, by the way, Chris, as we know, for Disney channels tend to be higher than any other channels in the in the industry so that probably accounts for that they, they're just passing on uh i think fubo is just passing on the increased cost to the customer in this case yeah and in last week's podcast too we talked about fubo a little bit and, and said that uh, we were kind of guessing maybe 70 dollars a month or more uh for a fubo subscription once the espn channels were included in that yeah. and at 65 dollars a month it's actually a little bit less than what i imagined um but i guess losing the Turner channels, which which for soccer fans now uh, now that we know that uh, TNT is not going to be broadcasting the Champions League anymore, um, is to me I have no problem with that. I'm not going to miss out on, on any of those Turner channels. So, and I'd much prefer to have the ESPN channels added. So, um, so the price increase, even though sixty five dollars a month is still a lot of money, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Um, and I, ha- I have YouTube TV. I have ESPN Plus also, as well as Fubo. Uh, the YouTube TV one, for me, I, I feel a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth about this one, just because I don't want those Viacom CBS channels. I have no interest in MTV, VH1, Comedy Central, maybe now and again, but rarely, Nickelodeon. So it's almost as if those are being forced on me, and now I'm having to pay $15 a month uh, more because of those channels that I have zero interest in. So what we're finding, Chris, is that these streaming packages, I mean, one of the things that was attractive about them early on was the a la carte kind of type uh, style of, of putting together your lineup that you don't get with cable. And the big reason you don't have that with cable is Disney, right? ESPN has never wanted to have uh, people be able to opt out of channels on a cable uh, on basic cable because they get the biggest carriage rates, as I, as I just mentioned. Um, but now what you're finding is these streaming packages are, are equally, maybe not equally yet, but they're getting to the point where you can't opt out of certain channels to lower your rate. And um, that's becoming, I think, 
problematic, and the attractiveness of streaming may diminish because of that. Uh, like you said, I, I, I agree with you. I have no use for it. It's funny, you and I are big rock music aficionados, but we have no use for MTV or VH1, right? right. Yep. Uh, we, we have everything we need to listen to on, uh, on vinyl or, or CD or, or, or digital, right? So um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it becomes a problem, I think, for streaming if they become as restrictive as cable in the packages they offer. And it's going in that direction, I hate to say. Yeah, it's effectively it's uh, become glorified cable because you've got YouTube TV, which is effectively a cable channel that you're getting through streaming, a cable network that you're getting through streaming. You're getting all your cable channels through a streaming device rather than having a uh, a hardwired uh, Comcast or you know, I don't know AT and um, kind of I mean in your house. Same thing for Fubo TV. Uh, the only difference with Fubo, though, is that for me personally, um, it has it will, it will have all of the soccer channels I would want. So YouTube TV doesn't have doesn't not have be in sports, but Fubo does. YouTube TV doesn't have uh, Tudo Ene or any of the Univision channels, uh, but uh, Fubo does. So I, I can get the ESPN, NBC, Fox, and. Uh, Univision channels and the Be In Sports channels, all of them through Fubo, and I think that the price will be still be about well, the new price sixty five dollars a month, versus YouTube TV, which is the same price, but I don't have any of the Be In Sports channels, I don't have any of the To Do Any channels, and uh, yes, it has NBC Sports and and Fox Sports and the ESPN channels, so that that for me is a big difference. And, and then going to the ESPN Plus, I mean, $1 a month extra, no big deal there, especially with them getting the Bundesliga. Uh, the bundle actually is the same price. So the bundle is $13 a month. Uh, that price doesn't change. And that's the ESPN Plus uh, and then Hulu and then Disney Plus. So those three for $13 a month. At, at the end of the day, for me, Kartik, it's all about... I mean, we can talk th- this this f- for a while, but at the end of the day, it's whatever each individual wants or likes to watch. So somebody might say that a a Sling Blue, which is what thirty dollars a month, plus a Fanatis, which is uh, eight dollars a month, which gives you all the B and Sports channels. So with that, with a Sling Blue plus Fanatis, you've got all of the uh, NBC channels, you've got all of the Fox channels, and you've got all of the uh, BN Sports channels through Fanatis, as well as Gold TV, that that might be sufficient for, for that person. So that's 38 bucks a month. But then you're missing out on some other leagues or competitions that uh, those two don't have, such as the ones on ESPN. So at the end of the day, the good thing about this is that you can still pick and choose these things are on um, month-to-month contracts, so you can switch at any given time. And what Comcast and AT&T and, and these other mammoth uh, kind of TV providers um, or, or TV networks really kind of don't provide you is the, the, the ability to cancel and change at any given moment. You're usually into a, a one-year or sometimes a two-year contract. So there's still that flexibility, but still... The price increases, unfortunately, I think it's just a matter of um, the way that the, the industry is heading. But it is, in many ways, glorified cable. But it, again, it depends what each individual wants. And, and you can save money, definitely. Uh, on top of that, though, you have to factor in your, your internet uh, bill, too. So it does, it does get more, uh, more expensive, for sure. 
All right, Kartik. Uh, next news item is that uh, the DFL from Germany, the, the German Football League, uh, re- recently announced uh, that the new media rights deal signed for the Bundesliga uh, in Germany, in Germany only, will bring in $1.2 billion a season. And that's just the domestic rights. It only includes Germany. Um, and also, of course, uh, DAZN is part of that uh, deal too. So I think Sky Sports Deutschland, uh, DAZN, um, definitely paying up a, a big amount of money, $1.2 billion a season for the Bundesliga in Germany, also, uh, Germany only. Now, in comparison, domestically in the US, MLS brings in $95 million a season, which is shared between MLS and US soccer. Uh, and... Um, it, that's that. That gives you an idea of in terms of how big that deal is. And again, that's just just Germany versus um, the U.S. and how much how much more opportunity there is for Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer to really in this net, next right cycle, uh, which will uh, end at the end of the the twenty twenty two season. Uh, how big that will be? I'm, I'm sure it's not going to be one point two billion dollars a season, but uh, there's a huge opportunity there for Major League Soccer to increase that value of that rights deal. Yeah, um, and that makes the Bundesliga the second largest uh, recipient of this domestic TV money behind the Premier League. So uh, positions, we know the, the Bundesliga doesn't quite have the the uh, uh, international deals, uh, anywhere near the international deals, the level of the Premier League, or even that La Liga has in, in some places. But this, uh, at a time when, because of the Bundesliga ownership model and coronavirus, there were some concerns about maybe the health of some of the clubs in their league. This is a, a big, big deal. And uh, DAZN stepping up to the plate means, at least in Germany, they will be around for a while. Yeah, yeah, and it actually helps them, I think, uh, globally too, in terms of at least uh, keeping them in business and um, globally then in other countries, maybe that gives them some, um, some, I don't know, some, some weight if they do go into some bidding on some of the um, Major League Soccer, for example, and, and some of the other rights deals that will be available in the US. Uh, the Premier League is going to be up to at the same time as the MLS. Uh, and, I mean, DAZN can say, hey, we, we are... We're sticking around. We're going to be around for quite a long time. We've got uh, in Germany, we're, we're an integral part of that deal. And we're planning on expanding into the U.S. as far as the soccer side things. Um, Kartik, um, in terms of the next news item, this, this is a little bit interesting in terms of uh, one of the big issues uh, that still prevails, which is uh, illegal streaming. Yeah, uh, according to new research, 89% of for, uh, sports fans have a pay TV or subscription OTT service. But yet 51% still watch pirated sports services at least once a month. Of those who regularly view illegal sports content, 42% watch sports fixtures on a daily basis. According to this report, the level of viewing is over 60% or higher than the average sports fan. Um, And this is, to me, kind of stunning because I haven't watched a pirated stream in I don't know how long. But I guess that people, because we have so many, and we just went through it in in one of the previous news items. There are so many different now streaming services that you have to buy or you have to buy one at such a high cost. And it still doesn't cover every football league, if we're talking specifically about our sport, about soccer. Um, I guess I can see how how this is very plausible. Yeah, especially with the Premier League, I, I put a poll out, uh, I think last week on Twitter that asked, um, there was one particular game, and it, it might have been Bournemouth against Crystal Palace, or maybe it, it was one of the games that was on NBC Sports Gold. And uh, I asked, uh, of those people who were planning on watching that game, 
Uh, how many of you are going to be watching it on uh, NBC Sports Gold? How many of you will watch it on Peacock? And how many, how many of you will watch it on a illegal stream? And it was practically uh, 50-50 between uh, NBC Sports Gold and illegal stream. So, so what NBC Sports Gold does in a way is it, it, it does bring in some revenue, but they're missing out on the other half of the revenue, which is going to illegal streaming. So if there was an opportunity for NBC Sports Gold to maybe make those games you mean more cost effective or uh, anyway, it gives you an idea in terms of how many people actually, what percentage of people are actually illegally streaming games that are not available. Because a lot of these people would say like, well, hey, I subscribe to Sling Blue or Fubo TV or Comcast or whoever it may be. I'm already paying for NBC Sports. And now you're asking me to go ahead and pay extra for this this game, which I don't feel I should be uh, paying for. So you can understand kind of the thinking behind the illegal streaming, um, even though it's illegal, right? Yeah. Last but not least, uh, in the new segment, uh, Tudo N.A. will deliver all of the action from the first ever Copa por, por Mexico. So it uh, starts um, on Friday, um, July 3rd. It features eight teams and 15 total matches from uh, two of the most iconic soccer locations in Mexico, uh, Estadio Akron in Guadalajara and Estadio Olimpico Universitario in Mexico City. So again, it begins uh, uh, Friday, July 3rd, uh, live on Tudo N. Group A will feature Chivas, um, Mazatlan, Atlas and Tigres. And then Group B will feature Pumas, America, Toluca and Cruz Azul. So Kartik, pretty much taking a similar idea to Major League Soccer and MLS is back, having a tournament, um, this tournament that will then lead into the uh, Apertura of the, the uh, Mexican League, the Liga MX, uh, later in July. So it's kind of like an appetizer, a sweetener to get the viewers kind of hooked in watching Mexican soccer nightly. Um, and which will which will impact MLS viewing figures, I'm sure. Like a lot of fans probably tuning into the Liga Max, uh, this uh, Copa por Mexico, instead of maybe uh, MLS games at night. Yeah, and interestingly enough, Nisa now uh, the third one of the third divisions in the U.S. is taking a similar concept, uh, and they're going to have a tournament and streaming information to follow. I, I bet it's going to be on Mycujo, but that involves teams that are in uh, that are independent clubs in fourth and fifth divisions playing in these kind of uh, closed settings, uh, also. So that, I think that the MLS concept or the NWSL NWSL was the first one to launch one, launch it. Let's not forget um, has caught on throughout North America. All right. On the TV rating side, we're not going to go into all the numbers because uh, we will have those at uh, worldsoccertalk.com on the homepage. But Kartik, uh, we will mention and talk about uh, Portland against uh, North Carolina Courage, which was the opening game of the NWSL Challenge Cup. And this was a game that was uh, live on CBS over the air. Uh, you wrote a great article at uh, worldsoccertalk.com that gave your first impressions of uh, the coverage from CBS. Uh, this telecast uh, averaged 572,000 viewers on Saturday. It was a 12.30 uh, kickoff game. Um, overall, what's your thoughts about that number? And what's your kind of a, uh, I guess, a, a preview? Kind of what's your, what were your thoughts of CBS's coverage um, of the uh, the tournament thus far? Yeah, so the number 
uh, got lauded on social media as being a really high number. I was actually kind of disappointed by it. So it was higher than what we've seen from Fox for the Bundesliga, but it was lower than what we've seen at the heights of kind of MLS broadcasts on network television, right? And I had, I had assumed NWSL being the first team sport back um, that maybe the numbers would be higher, but they weren't terrible, right? So that that was good. It was somewhere probably you know, about where expectations were. Obviously, so much of the coverage was then uh, devoted to, to, to players kneeling and Alexi Lawless tweeting uh, and all of that. And so, unfortunately, uh, coverage of the game and CBS's actual coverage uh, changed uh, or was not covered properly. So, as you mentioned, I wrote an article at World Soccer Talk about CBS's coverage. The, the, uh, the quick takeaway would be CBS, uh, they didn't necessarily innovate the way NBC has uh, when they've gotten new properties like uh, the Premier League. When they got MLS, they innovated too, which is often forgotten that they uh, upgraded their ML- the MLS coverage that they had inherited from Fox. Um, and then when it was thrown back to Fox, the coverage at Fox was better because of what NBC had done. Uh, but they didn't dumb it down like Turner, Turner has or Fox has with properties, right? Fox took the Champions League backwards from its inheritance from ESPN, although they eventually got it to a, to a higher level. Turner took uh, Champions League very far backwards from what they inherited from Fox. So I think it was a very kind of standard soccer broadcast in this country. The one thing that was different is that they took commercial breaks during the hydration breaks. And that was stunning to me, but it was choreographed. Um, they didn't miss a kick. And in fact, in the second half hydration break, it's almost like it didn't happen because uh, a player had been, uh, Ali Watt had been injured so uh, and was being stretchered off. So they came back to the coverage and it, you know, there was still another minute or two before play resumed. Uh, quick note, they had uh, Jen Hildreth and Ali Wagner in studio in Fort Lauderdale calling the match off of monitors. Uh, but they had uh, their, their, uh, um, uh, their reporter on uh, pitch side uh, in Utah and um, the production was flawless. And that's, yeah. I guess, what you would come to expect from CBS. There were no mistakes, no. And the camera work was impeccably good. So I think um, what what the, the, the key difference, because obviously the commentators are the same, it's Jen Hildreth and, and Ali Wagner, uh, the, the key differences between maybe previous rights holders for NWSL will be the high level of production. Now, I would say lifetime was very good with the production level for NWSL also. Uh, so this is more or less kind of just building on that and inheriting that. So, um, so far so good because my fear had been that they would try and dumb it down. Maybe they would introduce uh, uh, people who don't call women's uh, soccer or call soccer in general onto the, onto the telecast. That did not happen. Yeah, I was impressed by uh, Jen Hildreth and Ali Wagner, the, the, the chemistry, their analysis, uh, pre-game, um, also the graphics, just the kind of the, really the presentation of this game. Uh, I thought it was really well done, especially for their first first game uh, for this tournament. So, um, so, so thumbs up from from me, and, and hopefully uh, this will continue to get better and better as as uh, games go along. The, the the thing that I think is my biggest takeaway is CBS has watched other soccer covers in this, co- in this country and they decided not to mess with it. So maybe they won't do all the interesting th- new things that NBC did when they inherit the Champions League uh, and as they continue with NWSL, but they're not going to foul it up either. And I think that's very important because the Turner experience has left a really bad taste in the mouths of of, of fans. So 
Yeah. A lot of fans I talked to before this match were like, oh, is, is CBS going to be like TNT was? Are they going to do the same thing with NWSL that, uh, that TNT and Bleacher Report did with the Champions League? And I said, I honestly don't know. I don't think they would, but uh, let's see. And, and thankfully they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to uh, listener mailbag. First up is Mike Zale. And Mike says, as a result of the pandemic, I've watched and become more interested in football leagues that I have never followed prior. For example, I've enjoyed watching uh, Danish football on ESPN Plus and even the Belarusian Premier League on YouTube. My enjoyment is most likely tied to there being a fan presence at these matches. That got me wondering, though, are there any leagues that you previously only had a passing interest in but now follow more regularly because of the pandemic. On a side note, I've also participated in some of the crowdfunding by English non-league clubs as they struggle to survive. Previously, I don't think I would have done this. So for me, I'm trying to think in terms of have I watched more games from leagues or or, or been more interested in in some leagues uh, as a result of the pandemic? I I think during the... um, the, the period where there wasn't as much soccer on and I had more opportunities to watch um, games from leagues um, than before, but just because there were so many games being played at the same time. The Bundesliga is one for me. I mean, the Bundesliga, I watch more Bundesliga this season than I've ever done. And I've watched B- the Bundesliga in the past before, but oftentimes those games would be on at, sa- at the same time as a massive game with bigger implications in a, in a different league. So, so for me, it's it's I mean, it's a broader one. But and going back to what Mike said too, I, I did watch the Belarusian league. Um, I think I've watched one of the Danish Danish league uh, games too. Um, but usually, sometimes I'm like flipping through different channels or different streaming services, and if a game catches my eye, I might watch that. So I'm, I'm definitely watching different types of soccer than I would have done uh, before the pandemic. But uh, what about you, Kartik? Has, has your viewing habits changed in terms of uh, getting into some other leagues that may you may not have done as much in the past? No, I mean, I guess everything I've watched, there's things I've watched in the past. It's just uh, maybe more of a, a Serie A and championship slant, as I, as, as I mentioned and uh, earlier. But it's, it's it's essentially the same leagues. The thing that I think is going to be most interesting for me is when this MLS tournament starts, MLS's back tournament starts next week, will I watch more MLS than I typically did? So um, what happens with me in MLS, and I think we've been through this in this podcast ever since we changed to this format, so four years, has been I have started the season watching MLS the first two weekends, and then I I drop off Mm -hmm. and maybe start watching it again uh, at the end of the season. Now, in this format... Every match is is actually very meaningful, but this will then determine to, for me as a viewer: is it because of the quality of, of, of football I drop off, quality of soccer I drop off of MLS, or is it because the matches are meaningless? Because the matches are going to be meaningful in this tournament, but if the quality isn't there, maybe I'll stop watching. So, um, no, my viewing habits have not changed yet, but maybe I will watch more MLS through the summer, because this would be a time of the year that I'm never watching MLS, quite honestly, because there'll always be a, 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 an international tournament going on, etc. Or I'm working for a lower division team, and I, I just don't have the time or the inclination. But um, that's going to be interesting for me as far as my viewing habits. 
Yeah, it's, um, I mean, and of course, with the MLS is back, hopefully the tournament will continue because, I mean, with uh, FC Dallas having the, um, was it six players uh, tested, tested positive for the uh, COVID-19 and um, there's the fear, there's the concern that this might just be the start. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they'll, well, they are they are isolated, but hopefully this won't uh uh, grow from there in terms of the number of cases, and hopefully this tournament does play. But but you're right, Kartik, because um, in some ways I'm sure the MLS is looking at all these these different European leagues, thinking like, oh my gosh, you mean I hope this uh, Spanish title in in La Liga gets wrapped up pretty soon, so that uh, fans will tune out of watching that league. I hope that uh, Juventus will solidify their lead at the top and and kind of you mean uh, make it so that the uh, the Italian league is pretty much done and dusted. Um, but there are going to be other leagues on at the same time. It just is going to be different times of the day. So there's the burnout factor. There's the factor of like how much soccer can people watch. At the same time, we're we're either in it or going into the second wave of this coronavirus. So there's a there's a possibility of perhaps more people being isolated or more people choosing to stay at home a little bit more than they have done in say in the past few weeks or so. So there is the opportunity for people to be at home, perhaps working from home um, if they have a job and um, watching more soccer. So it could be it's it's going to be a really good test of MLS is what those viewing numbers are going to be, because that will give us a really good idea with very little competition from other U.S. sports. Yes, you will have NWSL going on at the same time. Yes, you will have uh, isolated uh, games from the Europa League and the Champions League uh, in what, uh, I think, late July uh, hap- happening. Um, and you've got the, the Mexican League starting up. Um, but for the most part, MLS should ha- not have a lot of competition to deal with. So how will they do when there's not much competition and there's a lot of people watching? That's the big question, and and, and same same with you, Kartik. Same same with me too. As far as MLS, I always get excited for the new season. I get into watching the games, and then my interest drifts. And part of it might be too that um, part of it's a competition. You mean if the the season starts up in late February or early March for MLS, and you watch, you mean the first several games, and now you're into April, and now you've got the title race happening or relegation battles happening, and uh, going into the summer with FA Cups and Champions League finals and those sorts of things, it, it does make it that uh, MLS kind of gets pushed in in the background a little bit. It's going to be interesting, let me say that. Next up is Andrew Smith. Andrew says, last episode was terrific. Uh, I've, I'm done arguing about Premier League versus La Liga, but these guys... Kartik and Chris sum up uh, from uh, minute three through 15 all the points I've been trying to make for years and they make it make them better than me. It's not that one is better than the other. Both are good. Just Premier League brothers or (laughs) Premier League bros who dismiss other leagues are whack. Next up, David Roberts says, I must take umbrage with one of your recent takes on the podcast. You mentioned that it was good for MLS that the tournament is going to be broadcast on linear TV such as ESPN and Fox Sports. I'm sorry, but I completely disagree. I think this decision is 100% uh, 100% backwards and completely nonsensical. Uh, Live TV streaming such as Hulu with Live TV, Fubo, YouTube TV... Uh, cable and, and, and satellites have these channels behind the largest of all paywalls. 
Garber and company would have been smarter by insisting that MLS's back be on ESPN Plus only. With cable customers leaving in droves and the fact that it's estimated that more than half of America will not have any kind of live TV service within the, ne- within the next six to eight months, MLS has basically told the audience, take your money and flush it down the drain. Do they honestly think that they're going to be attracting fans by doing this? Give me an honest-to-God break. The only people who will subscribe to cable are people who are probably already fans of the league, uh, as, uh, also known as rich white people who live in the suburbs. And to answer the question that's in the back of your mind, no, if a game is not on any of the genuinely affordable subscription services I have, I don't watch it, and I don't want to watch it. So I hope these rich people who are wasting their money with live TV enjoy MLS's back. I'm going to be watching the NWSL Challenge Cup instead because CBS All Access is way cheaper than any of those services. Okay, I'm done. Kartik, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, so I think MLS is trying to target the casual sports fan, and they have never had this opportunity to to kind of dominate linear television programming in prime time. And that's something that the NBA has had, college, uh, college basketball, college football has, uh, MLB has, and NHL. NHL has it on NBC, but they're on in prime time. So uh, on weeknights. So this is, I think, something that they've been, they've been dreaming of in terms of which is why, in spite of um, the the absolutely absurdly high coronavirus numbers in Florida uh, and and the positive test percentage, I know uh, people might just look at total cases. Uh, we've had administered less tests in the state the last few days as we we're recording this, so that's why the numbers have gone down. Actual positive test percentage has gone uh, significantly up in the in the last week. But I think that they are like bulls in the china shop, wanting to get this done because they want to be on an, in prime time on ESPN on the main channel. So uh, you might be right, Dave. I mean, we know soccer fans who are never consistently the target of, of MLS's marketing. At times they are. MLS shifts their marketing strategy in terms of whether they want casual sports fans or, or hardcore soccer fans. It seems like every other year. But right now, this is a play for casual sports fans who sit in front of the television watching the NBA or college basketball or this time the Major League Baseball on ESPN, and none of those things are present. Now, in terms of core soccer fans, yeah, I think uh, there are so many cord cutters, and, and uh, we see every uh, every other network or every – I shouldn't say every other network. ESPN's obviously done it too um, – Every other league have some benefit of the streaming services to complement the linear television, uh, whereas MLS, at least for this next month, uh, which may be the only competition they have this season, quite honestly, um, is not going that direction, which uh, is going to be an interesting test. So uh, I guess wait and see is my answer. Yeah, MLS is back uh, is a made-for-television tournament. It, it's, I mean, the way it's set up, it's the way that... Uh, with them even um, before the draw was made, what, an hour or two hours before the draw was made, uh, deciding that uh, the first game was going to be Orlando against Miami uh, and putting Orlando and Miami in the same group before the draw was even made, uh, tells you that this is made for television. This is a tournament that uh, looking at the the time zones and looking at the kickoff times uh, with very little competition from other sports, ESPN said, okay, great. 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, 10.30 Eastern. 
the 10.30 Eastern uh, will be in prime time, 7.30 uh, Pacific time for the West Coast. And you've got the East Coast for the 8 o'clock game. And then you've got the 9 o'clock uh, kickoff in the morning for probably... I mean, it, it helps as far as uh, in terms of the humidity and uh, the temperatures, but also that to me is the going after the hardcore audience. That's going after the the fans of uh, of, of the Premier League, saying, "Okay, you guys have been watching games at uh, seven thirty in the morning, uh, and you mean ten o'clock kickoffs. We're going to give you a nine o'clock kickoff. Let's see if we can actually make some inroads with the uh, the English crowds, the English fans of English Premier League uh, clubs." So it's made for television. So at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is, because it's made for television, it's really made for sponsors and advertisers. It's really meant to be a way for MLS to go ahead and and generate uh, as much money as they can during this short tournament um, with the thinking that possibly this could be it. This could be it for the entire season. The hope is, of course, that uh, they will be back in the fall. And or maybe late summer, and we'll continue playing the regular season and figure out a way to to finish things off uh, for the season. But it could be the only thing, the only game in town for MLS this season. So, as far as ESPN Plus goes, um, I mean five bucks a month, and uh, and like David mentioning, um, CBS All Access, which is six dollars a month. They're not going after that market. They're not going after those those fans that uh, are, have already paid and already subscribed. They're going after the the made for television, the ESPNs, the FS1s, and the Tudo NAs, hoping to at the same time hoping that they will be able to uh, grab a whole bunch of casual sports fans who have not have no baseball yet to watch, have no NBA to watch yet. The football season, American football season, hasn't started yet. Um, it's a good opportunity for them to try to capture that market too. So whether they will or not, uh, we will have to wait and see. But it, it, this is going to be really fascinating to look at those numbers. Next up is Jessica. Jessica says, if Turner Sports did indeed cancel the UEFA contract, I think UEFA got what they deserved. Three-year media deals are bad business, in my opinion, and, and bad for fans. It seems that leagues care more for money than fans or partners. Anonymous says, uh, thanks for the interesting podcast. I want to share my opinion and support one of the listeners who wrote about the problem of empty stadiums. Recently, I have had experience watching games of the Serbian and Bulgarian leagues. Stadiums there are filled, but um, not by 25%, as in Poland, but just full of fans. I'm not sure if this is medically correct and would prefer to leave the discussion of this aspect of the problem to doctors. However, as a consumer, I received a product of a fundamentally different quality, a different level. Perhaps the fact is that I was lucky and the games were excellent. It's also possible that the matches would not be so in an empty stadium. We will never know. However, I know that I watched games of not the most powerful leagues, Serbia and Bulgaria, with more interest than my favorite English or German matches. On the other hand, I understand that nothing can be more important than health. I am a spectator and I just share my opinions, my impressions of watching games. And yeah, Kartik, for sure. I mean, for me personally, I mean, watching some of the Premier League games with uh, no fans in the stadium... It's it can be dull at times, and it, it it's it, it feels more fake because of the fake noise and the fake noise not being done so well. At least with La Liga, it seems to be, and well, the Bundesliga was great, but La Liga was kind of uh, is down a little bit the levels wise. I think there was a comment posted on um, 
I think it was Janusz Mahalik talking about the Crystal Palace against uh, Burnley game, which I enjoyed watching that game. But anyway, he was saying too that the, the, the artificial fake crowd noise level, you would think that this would be played in front of 90,000 fans. This would be one of the best games ever. And I think the, 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 the point he was trying to make was this is pretty much a dull, physical, Burnley style of game. And you got the, the fans at a 10 as far as the, the crowd level. I mean, it just did not match up at all. Yeah, I, I, the Premier League, um, the Premier League no, uh, crowd noise thing is, is very, uh, it, it's, it's it's not corresponding to the mass. So, for example, West Ham, Chelsea. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday morning. So that was the the most recent Premier League match. Uh, there were uh, two var. I, I would say one was definitely an outrage. The other was uh, you know borderline in uh, that 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 snubbed West Ham. Now they still came back and won the match. Uh, credit to them. But uh, and the the the, the piped in crowd noise. There was something I was expecting. Each time those calls went wrong and nothing. It was just like the consistent same thing. Yeah. And uh, West Ham scores three goals you know, and, and, and fights through this kind of adversity. Uh, there is also you know, the penalty call. You would expect the crowd noise to line up with that. And what we found in the Bundesliga and La Liga, and we still see in La Liga because that league's still ongoing, is that there is at least some willingness to be uh, self-deprecating. An official makes a call uh, in front of a home crowd. There'll be some sort of reaction from the piped-in crowd noise for the for the broadcast. Premier League has none of that. And um, we were criticizing the Premier League's approach to this a week ago. But then that West Ham-Chelsea match, which was yesterday as we record, really uh, uh, hit it home to me because I was sitting there hoping West Ham wins because I'm hoping that they can uh, escape relegation, um, really kind of outraged by some of the calls. And there was no uh, reaction from the Upton Park crowd, or sorry, uh, the, the new stadium crowd, uh, <laughs> or the fake crowd at the new stadium right. uh, to it. So that yeah. was just poorly done. And maybe it's because the Premier League doesn't want to, to give some signal where their bars being criticized or their officials are being criticized. But uh, I, I thought, I think it sounds kind of stupid now, if you if you ask me honestly. Yeah, it felt like, uh, I mean, when I'm watching the Premier League matches and listening to the crowd noise, it feels like there's a couple of interns at the dials of, of the crowd noises and not being sure when to increase the noise or decrease it. Or It, it seems to be very amateurish for the most part. But, but, uh, but even in that West Ham United against Chelsea game, you had uh, Tony Gale, I think late in, in the game, the co-commentator saying... If this was a game full of fans, these West Ham United fans would be going absolutely crazy right now. You mean kind of coming back and getting that that late win, and you mean playing a good. I mean, actually, they fought really hard. I mean, Chelsea yeah. were poor defensively, but but they fought really hard. And it, it raised a good point too, because again, the uh, the level of noise and and just the. Just it didn't feel authentic at all. It's not authentic at the end of the day. But I guess, I mean, with with the opportunity to actually create artificial noise to make it as close to authentic as possible, I think the Premier League is failing us in that regard. Uh, next up is Turfit. Turfit says ESPN, Fox Sports, BN Sports, Tudo NA, TYC Sports, Goal TV, NBC, SN, CBS Sports Network, Fox Soccer Plus, Eleven Sports, Pac Twelve. Uh, Big Ten Network, Stadium, all on Fubo. What more can a soccer fan ask for? And, and that's a good point. Uh, you can add to that uh, ESPN2 and probably some other channels too. 
Amber says, uh, great pod last week. Listen to the current episode uh, this morning. I agree UEFA should consider putting the Champions League television contract for six years and not three years. However, all UEFA cares about is money and they figure to cash in every three years and show uh, kind of a lack of long-term partnerships. And that's the thing too, even with the CBS deal that's uh, supposed to start in the August of 2021. So next summer, that that too is a three-year deal. Yeah. So and and Univision uh, renewing their their deal. That's a three year deal too. So even with CBS, CBS has the opportunity if they want to and go in, go in early, go go in and get four seasons and actually four and a few games. Get the, the rest of the season in English and next season, and they will have just a little bit more than four seasons to really kind of put the resources into this one if they want to. Uh, and if they're willing to pay the amount of money that UEFA is asking for, will they or not? I don't know. This is going to bite UEFA eventually because the three-year cycle thing, there will be a down period where broadcasters cannot offer as much in in the way of uh, rights fees. That might be now, post-COVID. Uh, yeah. And the fact that they're not locked in long-term to some of these is is going to uh, bite them, I, I feel. Now, then again, we see the domestic situation in Germany, although Germany handled COVID better than I think just about any major industrialized nation, except for maybe Australia, uh, South Korea, except for those two. But they were able to, to still cash in in the midst of this. But UEFA is running a risk. I think the three-year right cycles, I mean, I've, I've opined about it a couple times on this podcast. I, I just, I don't like it. Um, even from just a broadcasting standpoint you, you cannot uh you cannot uh, lock down a property and feel comfortable with a property and the premier league with the exception of that six-year deal for nbc in the u.s which was done after a three-year deal for nbc and nbc almost lost the rights as we know to fox and espn a, a joint bid um a, a year and a half into their coverage um or two years into their coverage that um the premier league everywhere else in the world, including domestically, has these three-year rights cycles. And that's because you've had an incumbent in Sky that has kept the bulk of the rights from 1992 onward. It hasn't felt as disruptive, but uh, it potentially could be. Yeah, and part of the problem, too, isn't necessarily that it's a three-year deal, but it is that uh, the bidding for the next three-year cycle happens usually uh, – just after a year of of the yeah. first of those three year deals, so Turner going into season two of their uh, the Champions League season, um, knowing that um, they've lost it, and and so like why should they bother going ahead and finishing it off if they know it's ultimately not going to be part of their future? So it's it's an issue, and like you said, to contact the timing is it's the worst possible timing. Uh, and at the same time, too, UEFA having an out clause in there that uh, that Turner could go ahead and say, "Okay, hey, we're done, we're we're, we're out of the uh, Champions League, and here you go." And, and now UEFA has to scramble to try and find somebody to to go ahead and pick it up for the games for the rest of the season and for next season in English language. What a mess! All right, Tim Murphy says one additional benefit of the 4K broadcasts on Direct TV is that Premier League broadcasters and commentators do the games. The NBC guys are good also, but there is something different about the English guys. And that's a good point, too, because uh, those 4K broadcasts, uh, and there's more and more of them happening for the Premier League. Um, many of them are on, there's not a lot, but of the ones that are on, uh, some of them are on DirecTV and some of them are on, uh, I think, Comcast X1. 
Um, but oftentimes, I think I think all the times for this 4K broadcast, it is almost all the times it is um, the actual Premier League world feed commentators doing those rather than uh, the NBC Sports commentators because those feeds would be almost identical, but there will be there would be differences. Um, um, so so them going with a 4K coming out of England. Um, that's a good point, Tim. Last but not least, uh, Donald Dickerson says, please say you will discuss the 10% stadium capacity for fans this week for the Danish league. The matches might not have been the best in the world, but given the circumstances, just seeing the fans scattered through the stadium made my day. I did not catch these. I know there was a bunch of, uh, there was like, I think, two or three Danish league games on ESPN Plus this week. Uh, ESPN Plus is continuing to have not just the championship and uh, other leagues from around the world, Serie A, for example, but they do have Danish league. They do have the Swedish league. Um, they have some other leagues too. And I have not caught these games with the fans in the stadium, but but I can imagine it would really be a great feeling to, to hear the fans and see the fans in the stadium thinking that, okay, hey, this is a positive sign for the future, that things are coming back slowly but surely, uh, even if it's not in our own country. Yeah. All right. We want you to have your say. Uh, some great feedback this week from a lot of listeners and from around the world. Great observations, questions, comments. Uh, we love to read those out on air. You can always reach us through email uh, via web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. In Kartik, where can they find you on Twitter? And also, um, what, what can you share uh, with us about uh, your thoughts about MLS is back and uh, the latest numbers out of Orange County, which is where the uh, the tournament's going to be hosted? Is it looking better or worse? What's, what's your take? Where can they find you? No, it's looking it's looking roughly the same. I mean, the the, the positive percent. I know the the number of new cases we had uh, two days of about a thousand or over a thousand new cases in Orange County over the weekend, uh, and now the numbers have gone back down in terms of new cases. So people are saying, oh, okay, things are better. Well, no, they're not. Actually, the positive percentage uh, of tests administered remain. Roughly, based on the day, between 15 and 20 percent uh, for any given day in Orange County. So, uh, it's a, it's a coronavirus uh, epicenter, hotspot, and MLS is back is taking place there now. In fairness to MLS, um, and because of my reporting, I've I've, I've had significant pushback and, and significant private conversations uh, with people around the league who tell me that their bubble is basically impenetrable. There is no uh, aspect of the local coronavirus epicenter that uh, is going to seep in to their bubble. And the fact that the numbers are so high in Orange County are irrelevant to them. Um, okay. Even if you accept that, now we know Dallas, which is another hotspot recently of the virus, ha- has uh, their club having contracted as many you know uh, positive cases as you as you, the virus as you reported nine, earlier, Chris. Nine. And I'm sh- nine, and I'm oh. sure they will not be the only team because they're not the only team coming from a coronavirus hotspot to another hotspot. So, and you still have to somehow be processed through the airport, do all of this stuff. So, uh, there is still significant risk. I would in in fairness to MLS, say that they are being far less reckless than uh, USL, the second division in the country that's resuming play uh, with an ESPN2 game on July 12th, which uh, is having teams travel 
in in the midst of a pandemic. Now they've they've changed their format to where it's going to be regional travel rather than national travel, uh, but they're still traveling in the midst of a pandemic. At least MLS has everyone in a bubble. Oh, and you can find me at Twitter at KKFLA737. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, the one point that it's a little bit gray on, fuzzy, is the whole... So the bubble they have in place, but in terms of hotel employees coming into the hotel, so whether it's going, whether it's room service, um, which I'm, which we've seen pictures of this online, but people, well, obviously there'll be this contactless uh, room service where they drop it off in front front of the uh, the room, but but in terms of uh, even just uh, hotel staff coming into the rooms, cleaning the rooms, but um, so hotel staff who are not in the bubble, who are coming from outside the bubble into the bubble on a daily occasion and actually working in the hotel and servicing all the needs and the, 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 the these teams and, and clubs will need that's that's a uh, any any thoughts on that part Kartik, as far as like if that's a, a concern uh, yeah i think it's all a concern i mean maybe it's less of a concern and and some of my questions have been um, some of my concerns have been mitigated by what I've been told in the last week, I, I'll admit that. But still, uh, the this is a made-for-TV event, as you mentioned earlier. And I guess my instinct would be not to play, period, uh, in this country. And uh, people can say, oh, well, Serie A is playing and, 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 and La Liga is playing, etc. But those, league, those leagues are in countries that, while they had a worse time of it in March and April than the U.S. has, and, and I concede that, that those were the epicenters of the virus, even though the U.S. had more overall cases – um, now the U.S. is in much worse shape than any of those places. We have not gotten control of this. We have not. And in fact, in a state like Florida, where you and I are and where this tournament is taking place, it's worse than it was at the so-called, quote, peak. Whereas Spain, Italy, U.K., Germany, all these places have seen, even France maybe would have been able to resume their season if they hadn't uh, prematurely canceled it. Um, they've all gone through kind of a societal cleansing and changing of expectations and an acceptance of of how things are supposed to operate. Here we haven't done that. And um, I think MLS is doing their best job, in fairness to them, Mm -hmm. to to have a competition safely. And I do need to give them credit for that. They have taken every precaution that they possibly can at great expense to themselves to throw this made-for-TV event. However, Every precaution may not be enough. We're in really bad shape in Florida. And uh, if those of you who haven't followed the coronavirus in Florida, just check out the numbers or check out my Twitter and you'll see where we are now compared to where we were two months ago when New York and New Jersey and these places were coping with with it the way they are. We're getting to the level they were at at that point. And we were nowhere near that uh, when New New York, New Jersey, uh, Seattle, and then, of course, Italy, Spain, UK were dealing with it in big numbers. Yeah, and it's something that's it's important for I mean, what this podcast focuses on, which is the television coverage of soccer, is whether whether or not this tournament will continue, and, and we hope it does. Um, going back to what we were saying too about FC Dallas, so initially it was uh, six players that were reported that tested positive, but uh, overnight um, we've learned that there's been three additional players uh, to make that nine players uh, plus one coach. So you've got 10 people within the FC Dallas group that have tested positive. And we already saw with NWSL a team withdraw, and that team, ironically enough, is Orlando, uh, Orlando Pride. So again... Orlando and Orange County is a coronavirus hotspot. Per capita, uh, Orange County had the most cases in this uh, state uh, of big metropolitan counties in the last week. So um, 
even more than Miami and Fort Lauderdale, which were the which were the the virus in Florida prior to the last three weeks was really a Miami Fort Lauderdale Palm Beach event, right? It was mm-hmm. uh, almost seventy percent of the cases in the state um, from early March to early June were in uh, South Florida, and South Florida. Obviously, people know this is very economically and culturally connected to New York and very economically and culturally connected to northern Italy. So that's why it happened in these three counties where I happen to live, where you used to live. Mm -hmm. However, now um, the virus has spread and is now almost uncontrollable in other parts of the state. And where you live, Chris, is far worse now than it was at the so-called height of the uh, pandemic months ago. Oh, great. Um, Far worse where you live now. Thanks, Kartik. Sorry. (laughs) No, but it's reality. No, reality is good. I I like reality. And I think this uh, this podcast uh, focuses a lot on reality. But but again, too, if you do want to stay updated on the the impact of the coronavirus in Florida, which has an impact on MLS's back and uh, that tournament, uh, definitely check out Kartik on Twitter at uh, KKFLA737. So with that said, uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on itunes we would greatly appreciate it whether it's positive negative or indifferent uh we definitely want to get your feedback and kartik heading into another weekend um of lots of different games from a lot of different leagues from around the world it really in some ways for a lot of us myself included has been a great way to really try to make the best of a bad situation which is uh, what we're currently going through in the United States and uh, trying to basically stay positive trying to do all the right things as far as uh, following all the the medical and health guidelines has been watching soccer and it's from morning till night and there's a lot of matches on for us to choose from from around the world and and that's our goal really is to kind of keep you updated on uh, what to watch and how to watch it and when to watch it but Kartik heading into another weekend uh, what are you going to do and what should they do enjoy your football